Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Hello. I had myself muted. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to I was trying to trick you. Uh, But today we are joined by a very special guest, Andrew F. Sullivan. He is the good Andrew Sullivan. Not the one that everyone hates on Twitter. Uh, and Andrew F. Sullivan has uh, a book forthcoming called The Marigold, which we will be discussing today. Andrew, welcome. How you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Carlo and Kurt, the double K. Uh, yeah, no, it's um, Podside has been a podcast I've listened to many times uh, with many guests and now You've invited me on to do one-on-one combat with <laughs> the other Andrew Sullivan, who I'm imagining is behind a curtain or a different yes. mic right now. Yes. And his phrenology will not protect him here uh, in, well, in well, a man-to-man situation, yeah. but just, just I take have it that's him, not what's happening. So I'm happy just, to be here and chatting with you guys. Yeah. Just have him measure the 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 caps of mushrooms and uh, which which is your, going to be your your weapon of choice for this battle, right? Oh yeah, no, I only operate on an organic uh, weapon system. Uh, there you go. I think that's from Morkborg. <laughs> I think you can translate that over with stats if you roll it right. Uh, I was going to say that you'll you'll do combat in a lightning round of ten questions about home mold and damp remediation. Exactly. Uh, and, and so and so we're trying to make this as unfair as possible yeah no it's all about yeah it's all about dehumidifying and really you know checking those corners yeah well so um so this is uh this is due out uh what is i forget andrew it's april april 18th 18th, so 18th yeah it's coming up pretty soon uh i guess it's you know a month from when we're recording today uh it's uh yeah, it's going to be out in Canada and the U.S., which is great. And uh, we've kind of been building up steam over the past few months with it. And it's, yeah, it's my third book and my second novel. But of course, that means there's, you know, three or four novels in like a trunk somewhere that no one will ever read. And, <laughs> you know, they've been ritually murdered and uh, it's, it's, it's a trunk. Winds. It's a trunk that, that that sort of shudders every time you pass by it, trying to yeah. You know, I think so. I, I, I want to resurrect one or two of those, but there was definitely some years in between there. I think my last novel came out seven years ago, so it's been you know a bit of a time. Wow, seven years! You know, you're, it's a good you're, thing nothing happened in those seven years, right? <laughs> we were all in the world or anything. It's all pretty it's much just, the same as it was seven years ago. Like we, we've we've achieved the uh, the future that's in that uh, little uh, 
that little photograph of like the the clear skies and glass dome city. It's oh yeah, 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 yeah. A future with <laughs> we're, the, the we're regular living. Andrew Sullivan. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a beautiful place where we would all be way better off. Um, yeah, no, it's it's kind of crazy, uh, because this book. I guess we'll get into that, but there was a t- part of it where I was like halfway through and COVID started, and I was like, I need to put this away. Like the world could change. I could be wrong about you know, civic responsibility and human nature and how we, re- how we react to crisis. You know, what if I'm wrong? And then like three months in, I was like, all right, I got to finish this fucking book. Because it's- what if landlords really step up and actually are heroes and pillars of the community and, and yeah. not a problem at all? Yeah, yeah. What if the government does have a handle on things? Yeah, it was, you know, we did have amazing success stories like uh, vaccines and so on, but we also had just total... Uh, government failure and inability to like cope as uh, humans. So, yeah, I felt like you know, three or four months after, I was like, "All right, this is a book that I can write and kind of make happen." If I may jump in for a second and maybe get a little bit ahead of myself, I one of the things I enjoyed about the book um, is that it didn't feel like a COVID thing. Which obviously you were already working on it when it wasn't, and and you know, one of the things I liked about it is I, I feel like a lot of the themes that really seemed very central to the book of like decay and collapse and, and you know and kind of connecting a more uncanny or organic sort of decay with a kind of like civic or infrastructural decay feels like a very timeless sort of theme, at least in this particular slice of you know, the modern era anyway. And so, like, I don't think even if COVID had gone extremely right and it was like, wow, we we completely killed it. We did a great job. Everybody pulled together. I don't think it would feel any less um, potent or relevant as because you only need to walk past something more than about 10 years old uh, and start to <laughs> see cracks in things that looked nice about five years ago and go, Oh, I see. I see where this book is coming from. <laughs> totally, yeah. I, I agree. It's there's something about uh I guess maybe we should explain what the book is. Uh um Well, but- I, do do you want me to I I I do have a little summary. I think I've used it a couple times already, but but I think it's still it's still valid. I mean, it's it's basically like rival systems battling over the corpse <laughs> over who gets to consume the rest of the corpse of Toronto. And, um, you know, the, the, those systems don't care very much about individual people that get caught in between them. And the systems need bodies. They definitely do. They need spaces also. <laughs> also spaces. Yes, this is, yes, this is like the, the darkest possible bodies and spaces lecture. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a new, new frontiers of, bodies and spaces but about 100 feet underground yeah it's uh (laughs) yeah i think that's a great way to talk about it carlo i I really loved when you talked when you originally i guess yeah when you'd mentioned that before the idea of yeah these competing systems and like sort of how irrelevant characters end up being to you know how the city functions and what happens and you know who wants power Mm -hmm. uh whether it's organic or civic or technocratic or Whatever, it's sort of, yeah, these all, they're all hungry for more. And all of those things, like you said, feed on bodies, Um, workers, you know, just human beings generally, uh, their needs and their wants and kind of 
warping them into what the machine needs or the or the uh, fungus needs, I guess, in the case yeah, of the marigold. Yeah, when, when when this hole was made for me is actually your grave. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. If, what if this hole was made for you, but also the hole was the wrong shape and started falling apart immediately, too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. This hole was made for me six months later. Well, we there's no the HVAC is just I mean, it's just shit. There's no flow. You know, I my feet are cold and my head is hot every night. Uh, well, I'm imagining, I, I, I'm imagining I, I, all the people I'm, climbing I'm, back out of Amigara Fault, being like, "Yeah, that hole actually only went about ten feet in. Like they really <laughs> fucked up." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> could you imagine the Amigara Fault was made like the way that they rebuilt uh, Ned Flanders' house, <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> load bearing posters, you know that type oh, of yeah. thing. Oh yeah, no, they're just perfectly aligned. Like uh, if you stand a hundred feet back, it's like, oh no, it's the same place. Yeah, it's great. It's perfect. Just. <laughs> If you just stay back here and don't take one step toward it, it, it looks great. Yeah. So, so one thing that you mentioned, and I, I don't mean to to pull back from from discussing the book, but but one thing that you mentioned that uh, stands out to me, given the schedules that I've seen amongst other uh, writers, is that you know, like this this it took you seven years to write, you know, get this one published is basically what what I'm hearing. Uh, I, I mean, this sounds like a very long period of time for a lot of the, uh, like the whomever's in, like the it crowd in publishing any type of genre stuff. Like generally speaking, it's you know one two years. God God forbid you're like somebody that needs to self publish and you have like four novels a year. Yeah, I mean, I I will admit. Uh, so my last novel is called Waste. It was about wannabe skinheads who accidentally run over a drug dealer's pet lion in semi-rural Ontario. Uh, Ontario has really loose zoo laws, so you can actually own pretty exotic animals here. Uh, I think the next closest place with as loose zoo laws is like Florida because of the circuses. <laughs> but that's an aside. Anyway, um, so that book came out in, yeah, 2016. And I mean, I wrote three other books after that, man. Like, I wrote uh, a horror thriller that my U.S. publisher didn't want. I fired my agent. I got a new agent. I wrote a, like, my version of basically uh, Safe, that movie with Julianne Moore in it. I was like, okay, I'm going to mm -hmm. update that. Um, and just, I kept running into walls where, yeah, like, I wanted to, you know, take a step forward with a publisher who I could actually work with and who would actually get my book out there. I didn't want to just throw my books out there with like a really small press, do 500 copies. And then that was mm -hmm. it. So that was also on me. Like I wasn't just like, I mean, I started working on this book. Yeah. 2017. But I mean, the, f we sold it in two in 2021. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, it kind of, comes and goes the the original draft was longer uh but yeah two years since you sell it right to get it out into the world uh with traditional publishing a lot of the time and i do think that is useful and helpful i do think that helps people you know if they're if your publisher's doing it right people will learn about the book the book will have you know people behind it by the time it comes out and people will you know want to learn about it uh if you're doing things right um but you know, so many books do just like disappear off the map and, mm -hmm. you know, 
kind of vanish in that time. Uh, so the whole process does take forever, but I'm okay with that in some ways. Like, obviously, I don't want it to take seven years for the next one to come out. I've got another one coming out in August uh, with my buddy Nick Cutter. But I like the idea of, you know, actually having an editor, somebody who challenges you, somebody who works with you on the book, somebody who, you know, pushes back and, you know, can make your work better. And then, you know, actually taking the time to have a real copy edit, a real proof, you know, all those things. I think there's sometimes an urge to get things out as fast as possible. Or as you were saying, Carla, like just really pump them out. Um, and that works for a lot of people. But I think for myself, I do want it to gestate. I do want people to sit with the book for a while. I don't want to like burn people out on, I mean, I'm already getting burnt out on having to put myself out there, but just having to do that every day for the rest of my life uh, mm -hmm. would be uh, agony. Uh, but, you know, having it be cyclical kind of, coming in and out um with a new project uh that still excites me that's still something i want to do um so yeah th i mean this book took a long time but there was also in between like the past is littered with failure and corpses right it's uh... <laughs> it seems appropriate to the theme of the book <laughs> go ahead kurt i'm sorry <laughs> oh i was gonna say i i think I think a lot about that, the, the question of like delay versus, you know, striking while you feel like something is relevant to a moment. And I almost feel like accepting that there will be a delay pushes you in a way to, um, to, to pass up on easy opportunities that everyone else is also going to see. Because like something that I think about a lot when I'm deciding what to write about is like, if I feel like I need to write about something like this week and get it up next week or else it won't be relevant anymore, it's almost not worth doing because everyone, there's going to be 20 other people who had the same idea and are all going to be rushing to get them out in a week. Whereas if you can find something where you're like, this will be just as relevant, you know, two years from now as it is today or tomorrow then I think maybe you're really onto something. And and again, circling back to what I said before, I think that that is one of the strengths of the book is that it feels like to me, like it's really onto something like this could probably come out in four years and it would still, you know, I'm sure that would be enormously frustrating to you. But to, to me, the reader, I, I highly doubt that I would be like, yeah, this book feels very four years ago, you know, like th this could have <laughs> come out 10 years earlier and I still think it would be, you know, on point and relevant. So. No, I mean, that's great to hear. And I, I, I agree with you there. Like, I think, I think if anything, that's why I kind of planted it in a near future, which is basically a now, <laughs> but I just didn't want to have to be constrained by like whether, <laughs> yeah. whether or not like Facebook failed or not in that time, you know, or became meta or I mean, I know Joe Hill talks about like with heart shaped box, there's all this MySpace stuff in it. And he's like, yep, that <laughs> that's a MySpace book. Uh, like there's ways to talk about tech and the internet and you know how we use it without sort of fully bending the knee to Mark Zuckerberg or whoever else. Um, so like, yeah, I think that's something I was aware of. I didn't want to be one of these guys trying to write a book that, you know, does not have cell phones. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I didn't also want to kind of be bent to whatever Elon Musk decides to do next week. So yeah, not chasing sort of a trend. <laughs> Um, one of the funny things with the Marigold now, right? It's about, you know, a sort of weird fungal infection in a city that's claiming people through buildings, climbing up pipes, moving through wiring. Um, and of course, you know, The Last of Us takes off this spring. 
And this book <laughs> ends up on a bunch of lists. And yeah, there's a little part of me that's like, well, mine is more of a mold than a mush. But like, you know, like, like I'm going to write, like, sure, you want to put me on that list? Like, if discoverability, honestly, for a lot of indie books, this is an indie book. Like, it's a it's small press in Canada. Like, sure. Yeah, if we're talking about fungal horror, if we're talking about sporer, that is what this is. It's not what you expect, maybe. But I'm not going to say no to that wave. But you're right. Like, I'm not going to be sitting out there in the ocean waiting for it to hit me. It happens excuse, or it doesn't. Like, excuse me, sir. Uh, this is actually a slime mold, not a fungus. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's an idea that I don't know. I, I, I'm sure I'll get really hardcore fact checked at some point. I did enough research for myself to feel comfortable. I also do love the idea that we do know so little about fungi that, like, even the experts are like, well, they are technically kind of impossible to know you know <laughs> like there's there's so much that's like undiscovered and that's a i mean that's a place for play right like that's a place to create that's where you can have fun while you're writing horror or while you're trying to explore your own ideas well the I, idea yeah. that like i'm gonna back up everything with you know footnotes is not really why i got into writing fiction <laughs> uh, that, that, you weren't you weren't writing hard sci-fi uh that, no that's... <laughs> no i do appreciate some of those hard sci-fi guys just for like you know i'm sure they've done other cool things too like invent uh some sort of bridge apparatus or ways to <laughs> empty my maybe, dishwasher or yeah maybe maybe one of the apps that features in your in yeah your yeah and i was gonna say pringles but actually like you know gene wolf is not interested in hard sci-fi at all really so uh i just had to we were on pod side i have to like do one gene wolf like of course and, of course there you go yeah uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pringles to the pringles god what, what can we say yeah exactly let us raise our canisters to the heavens we're gonna have a cylindrical canisters yes yeah exactly we're gonna have a a uh a pringles uh godspeed black emperor crossover as soon as all the godspeed guys are dead Uh, this is this is a a total sidetrack but i i always chuckled at um once i learned the truth of it so there, there there was this uh there's this TV show called Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious Universe slash Mysterious World slash it had like three different names. But basically, you know, sci-fi author Arthur C. Clarke, and he would talk about like this is from this is from like the early 80s. It was like Stonehenge. Nobody knows where it came from. And even then people knew where it came from. But it was, you know, it, it was <laughs> no, about the mystery. No one knew who they were. <laughs> but, but but what was funny was on 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 every episode of this TV show, which uh, Discovery used to air like nonstop. Um, they would always introduce him not as like sci-fi author Arthur C. Clarke, but as Arthur C. Clarke, inventor of the telecommunications satellite, um, which is <laughs> way overstating. <laughs> like he basically came up with the idea for a satellite that would rebroadcast like transmissions, which, OK, like in the broadest possible terms. Yes. Like, OK, he kind of came up with the idea, I suppose. <laughs> but the, uh, when you when you talked about inventions from hard sci-fi, that that was what my mind went to because it's a little bit of an overstatement. Also, here's some facts about Stonehenge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You you establish your bona fides by just claiming a technology like Al Gore style. You're inventor like inventor of the cell phone. Yes. Yeah. Well, after I created the internet, I uh, moved on to yeah. Really, we all need to just claim something that has so many you know owners. Most of them being some federal government somewhere in the world. Um, 
and just, you know, claim that, yeah, I can't actually talk about it on the record, but I definitely invented <laughs> insert, you know, um, winter tires or whatever it needs to be. Yeah. The hydrogen car. Yes. Yes. The inventor of the hydrogen yeah. 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 Car. That's why my doppelganger was killed off. Yeah. In 1978. It was terrible. <laughs> so, so I, I have a question for you, Andrew, which is one of the things that struck me as I read the book is the the structure of the point of view of the novel is pr- probably fr- from what I've seen one of the more remarked upon aspects of it, which I, I think is fair to say, like it kind of it it already has a fair number of point of view characters. It seems like maybe four or five, roughly, kind of just going from from memory. But then on top of that, every few chapters you have these these kind of um, occupant chapters i started thinking of them as where in addition to them kind of the main central plot line or plot lines you have these little almost like short story vignettes about people who occupy the you know the the building or the structure that's at like kind of at the heart of a lot of the the tangles of plot um and i was curious is that something that you had from the beginning is that something that came about as you thought about like like how where you know what what was the thinking behind that and and kind of like what were you not not what were you trying to do because i'll say whatever you were trying to do there i think it worked (laughs) because i i really enjoyed it but um i i'd love to hear just kind of your thoughts and and kind of i don't know background on how you arrived at that whether it was a concern of yours because again i i loved it but i've definitely i've i've definitely also seen it remarked upon um, oh yeah, and it definitely. Oh stood yeah, out no, to no, me. it definitely. There's people out there who are like, "What the fuck is this guy about?" Cowards, um, cowards, all of them. Coward, no, literally, yeah. <laughs> cow- who do I root for? Nobody. It's really easy. Um, <laughs> the, the mold, the mold, yeah, the 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 workers, the 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 raccoons, the the nature. Yeah, yeah. That's how you just fought, root for uh, Odie. Yeah, yeah. I think like there's um. That's yeah. It was totally intentional from the beginning. I mean, I wanted to write like a big city book. I think beforehand, before I did it, I almost had an Excel sheet of characters. And then I was like, wow, this is some nerd shit. I'm not fucking doing that. And I deleted it. Um, But no, the idea that, you know, I wanted to talk about precarity. I wanted to talk about the city. I wanted to talk about how, you know, things fall apart. And you need a lot of, I think, different perspectives to do that without getting too, you know, pedantic about it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of maybe more traditional SFF readers who've picked it up or people who are looking for a more straightforward horror novel, you know, they're like, oh, it's an exciting confrontation with a mold. And I'm like, no, it's about losing. Um, (laughs) And people don't necessarily love that. Uh, It is finding its readership, which is great, but that it was intentional. So yeah, when I'm seeing like reviews that are like, I was confused and angry. I'm like, well, <laughs> you're <laughs> supposed to be. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, Thank you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that that like, was the point. <laughs> yeah, the intention was to kind of build this sort of panoramic view to give you, you know, all these different characters who are, you're right, there's, you know, four sort of main protagonists and one of them's not a good dude. And then there's definitely one antagonist who has a few chapters. So there's like five primary voices in there. And then there's maybe 15 others scattered about. Um and it was intentional. And it was something, you know, from the very first draft that was there. It was like, mm-hmm. all right, I introduce you to this tower in this city that's like under siege from environmental and corporate, you know, malfeasance. And now um, I'm going to show you who that actually affecting mm-hmm. on like a personal yeah. level. Yeah, 
Yeah, um, what I what I yeah. liked about the touch is that it it almost necessarily feels like it makes them the objects of part of the story, like as, as opposed to you know, like you, if if a character only gets one chapter or one snippet or one section, almost necessarily they are going to be an object of something else. Like the story is going to have to act upon them simply because you know if if they're in for six hundred words and then they die for you know for for instance. Like that's the well, not necessarily in in kind of like a weird, you know, fungal half life sort of way. I, I guess they could return in some form, but um, but it it feels like it 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 gives it this interestingly like almost oppressive uh, atmosphere, even more so than the rest of the story, because you know that like that's all you get, and it gives it like a very interesting. Those sections really spoke to me because it gave me an air not just of like a short story form, which I love, um, but because it it felt so oppressive, like so much stuff was being stacked upon them that you knew they weren't going to be able to get out from underneath, and I I really enjoyed that that aspect of it, almost like a almost like a literary horror separate from kind of the the horror aspects of the story. Yeah, no, totally. That's like for me, that was super. Everything you're talking about there, Kurt, is like bang on like that that was intentional that was to build yeah like these are objects to the wet which is this fungus that is you know collecting all these people and whether it needs to lure them with you know sweet words or cruel words it takes the shape it needs to take like one thing i you know when i was doing my research or whatever when i was learning about fungus or when i was like kind of diving into things is you know it it's you know that adaptability that people have also shows up in other places it chooses new methods for you know each victim it kind of encounters and so each of those chapters is sort of yes it's um you know in like the sort of horror movie sense it's like yes okay here's like victim number 7 a little bit mm-hmm. but it's also usually like that oppressiveness that sort of you know that caged feeling for each of the characters is they're already trapped in something else and the Mm -hmm. wet is almost offering them a way Mm -hmm. out right like most of them surrender or offer up somebody else Uh, yeah yeah Yeah, i i i also think that it's it's rather um i don't think that you you signpost it but it's it's there right it's it's this um to to what kurt was talking about uh, you know, like structurally, it's it's a dramatic irony chapter, right? Where you know that this person, you're not going to meet them again because either they're going to die by the end of this chapter, or <laughs> it's pretty much, you know, the only time you're going to see them, and you can probably imagine the worst happened to them. Uh, and and like you said, Andrew, yes, like each one of them, uh, I think Maddie, uh, is it Gail? Uh, each of them has some sort of I, I wouldn't say Maddie has a dark secret. It's just simply like the type of business she's in, which is, you know, online, like cam sex work. Isn't exactly uh, a, a type of speaking of becoming an object. She's already there, right? She's. Yeah. And I mean, with like, I did want to kind of create that correlation to where we have like a, like a video game streamer later and it's the same deal. And we have a like, a gig driver and we have a guy who's working for an app company and it's like they're all being drained by 
their role, right? Their mm-hmm. position, their job. And I think that's like, that's something that sort of, I did want to kind of add some texture to for all of these characters is sort of, they are bound up in, you know, they all answer to somebody else, whether it's a mm-hmm. client or a boss or a audience. And uh, the, like that, those parallels kind of stack up as the story goes along. Um, with Soda, sort of one of the primaries, kind mm-hmm. of speaking for a lot of them, somebody mm-hmm. trying to break out of that system and yet trapped. Anyway, sorry. so so let me let me ask you this because uh, I, I'm going to ask you another question later. But but first off, Soda's dad, Dale, is this a King of the Hill reference? Because he is a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Uh, honestly, no, I, but I, but I now want to take that back and be like, it's up to the reader to decide Uh, (laughs) because it kind of like, there is a lot of, uh, illusions in the book. There are a lot of like little secrets and things for people to find. Um, I don't think that one was fully intentional, but I fully like, I'm going to commit to that now. I'm going to be like, yeah, I mean, I'm a big season three guy, but yeah, no, I think it's. (laughs) I think that paranoia, teacher. yeah, he was definitely like, I wanted him to be somebody who at one point was an insider. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, then, and that's, yeah, like, I think that that's the fascinating thing that he, he was, he was an insider and that gave him like enough to go on to really see, because I, I think that that's the thing that that's the sort of like the baby that's thrown out the bathwater whenever someone like scoffs at uh, conspiracy theories. It's like, yeah, but, but like there are conspiracies, like, like oh, very yeah. mundane ones, like at the heart of this book where, you know, Stanley Marigold and the other what, five or six developers. <laughs> it's not that mundane. I mean, they have like weird naked rituals. It's, it's yeah, like, well, yeah no, they no, do, no. but, well, but well, it I'm, is that like posturing, right? It's like the, the rich, like time after time are like, okay, let's be spooky. Like, let's get our, like, they revel in that kind of bullshit. It is yeah. bullshit, but it becomes real. Like, mm-hmm. I think, like, people are like, oh, it's conspiracy. And I'm like, well, do you not believe that, you know, people with unlimited wealth yes. and almost no, like, checks or balances on what they do aren't going to, like, take advantage of their situation? Like, the idea, I don't know. Like, I think on the level of conspiracy, like, it's not that hard to see that, you know, people with resources will use those resources mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. themselves. And it eventually spirals into the same sort of hollow, you know, there's no secret, like there's rituals and cults, but that's to build up around a nothing that's there at the center of it, right? Like worshiping a fucking machine god or whatever Elon and co are up to these days, like there's well, I mean, no it, center, so they have to build a ritual around that gap, you know? Well, I mean, th- they're they're all sort of, like, basically inventing all these things to uh, elevate throwing lots of resources into a pit, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, like, what are they willing, you know, the book, like, the book is, like, I'm not especially always a very subtle writer either. It's like, yeah, the book is, like, literally, we open on somebody putting a body in the foundation of a building. <laughs> and that's sort of like a warning of like, here's the rest of the book. It's like, <laughs> this is what you're in for. Like, I'm not, mm-hmm. I, there's, I'm not going to like pull a net away on you. Right. And I do think I, I've talked about this um, with a friend of mine before, but uh, 
I do listen to some other podcasts. Sorry, guys. I, I know Pod Side for Life. But I know, I know, and not just Kurt's parenting podcast, but um, <laughs> but I think like uh, I think it was A Lab. Uh, All lawyers are bastards. They did like an Alex Jones episode, mm-hmm. and they talked about how yet like yes, conspiracy. Oh, it's so terrible. Whatever else, but like so much of what was conspiracy for the American government, like they were testing on their own people. They Mm -hmm. were bombing weddings. They were like doing secretive nefarious things. (laughs) And we just have to live with that. Mm -hmm. And so when people are like, Oh yes, it's, it's, it's totally wild that people believe this. It's like, well, you like civic institutions do have us, you know, responsibility to their populations. Like, if you are lying to us every day, and every day we get hammered with that cognitive dissonance of trust us, but also, you know, just ignore the, like, mushroom cloud on the horizon, it's not that bad. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, people start to wonder, like, I I don't have sympathy for any sort of, like, oh, don't get vaccinated, but I do have sympathy for seeing your authority figures tell you everything's going to be okay and then blow somebody's head off. Mm-hmm. I do see like there is space in there for, you know, when we have the unexplained and the inexplicable explicable that people are going to, you know, build meaning out of it. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, there aren't institutions there to help guide that meaning or to show a good example, I like you continue to kind of spiral out. Um, and like when there is no responsibility, I guess like that you, when that trust is gone, I think that's where conspiracy flourishes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of in the book too, right? Is like as the institutions are failing, as the infrastructure is failing, as sort of these band-aid solutions are created, um, people get more paranoid. And they're not necessarily right. You know, they just threw a dart maybe in the right direction one time. Mm-hmm. What w- w- one bit of dramatic irony that I really appreciated is, you know, early on in in the novel with uh Soda who's, you know, a gig worker, basically like some, you know, a, a, a effectively an, an Uber type driver. I think it's it's fair to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he has he has basically two run-ins with different paranoid people who believe themselves to be, you know, the the object of these vast surveilling systems. You know, there's uh, I think his name is R- Ramji, yeah, I Ramji, think yeah. his, his 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 fair kind of near the start of the book, um, who is, you know, believes that soda is like the unwitting accomplice of this, this some vast conspiracy to track and and entrap him and then of course uh soda's father dale who um who you know also kind of sees all these like conspiracies everywhere and believes that you know there's this vast invisible system out to get him and, and of course the the irony being that you know as a not just a gig worker but like a gig work driver soda actually is perhaps the most surveilled the most spied upon the most manipulated and conspiracyed against character in the novel right and it's so it's i i got a little bit of of like a chuckle of someone whose every movement is tracked whose every you know minute is dictated from afar by these invisible inhuman systems encountering people who see other who who see other systems you know they understand as you were saying that something is off something is controlling and manipulating things they just they just they're they're just wrong about what it is but they're they're fundamentally right they're they're just they're just wrong about who the subject and who the object of these systems are 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great reading. Like, I think, like, entirely correct that, like, he's, he is, like, basically a bumbling box of censors. Yep. And people just keep (laughs) walking right into his grasp and (laughs) assuming, you know, and he's, you know, he's also sort of, you know, sent on this, like, you know, he is like a, you know, his dad's like a shitty Don Quixote being like, all right, son. (laughs) <laughs> There's this really big windmill downtown. I don't know if you heard of it, um, but you got to go there. This guy, he's going to tell you how it is. And he, I mean, he does like Stan Marigold does at one point eventually. But the idea that, yeah, like there um, there's an answer to like that, like, like as if, oh, this is uh, I think that's something I was trying to do with the book where like each of those main characters sort of believes that they understand how things work. And if they could just get other people to understand and well, it- like go yeah sorry go ahead Carla no I was just gonna say they you know uh, while you were talking about that Kurt it, it just struck me that both Ramji and Dale are very much uh, sort of like Lovecraftian investigators who've seen too much <laughs> yeah and so the, but but then they 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 they've drawn like their 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 brush against like the uncanny has just left them like. F- Hyper focused on the one thing, yeah. <laughs> so they they then lose you know focus on you know like like you're yeah. saying like they lose focus that like soda is completely surveilled. I mean, I would say that Ramji is um, because he's so paranoid. He's convinced that soda has been given has been rerouted um, <laughs> to a different route that'll take him to a place where he'll get capped. Right. I mean, because could he knows be. too much. Honestly, could be. Maybe. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. And no. like, it's, it's so funny because like the actual conspiracy is so prosaic to most people that they're just like, well, that's not a conspiracy. That's just how things are. Yeah. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think- that, that's that's why that's why I was saying that like the 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 central conspiracy, like Stan Marigold and all his fucking sickos, uh, you know, developer sickos, uh, you know, I-, I called it mundane, but yeah, I think prosaic is probably the more, the more, uh, descriptive of those things. Whereas it's just like, yeah, they just want to like make money off of real estate. Like they've always done. Yeah. And they want to do it, you know, they want to accelerate things and they want to, and this is also like, this isn't a book where I'm like, if you see a building, it's bad. But the like, just the the intensity and like lack of care that they're going to show, just adding up while the city's sort of crumbling around them. Um, Andrew, I did I did notice that there was a, a a very telling lack of land acknowledgments in every one of those descriptions of buildings. Uh, so, just word to yeah, the wise. I think like that city itself, like Toronto itself, is built on you know all kinds of terrible things. Um, <laughs> And Bodies. Uh, <laughs> let's, yeah, like a, like a, a, a very uh, kind of horrid history there, really, of colonialism. Um, but, you know, the story I wanted to tell was very much, you know, these people uh, exist solely like in this present almost, you know, they, what they see is what like Toronto, if anything, is famous for like just tearing down buildings to build something worse. Um, <laughs> the idea of like a sense of history or a sense of like home or a sense of place, um, you know, meanwhile, they will try to like preserve, you know, entire single family home communities mm-hmm. right in the downtown core that are empty or filled with, you know, empty nesters, um, and just stack everything up along the avenues. And so you have these like really, really dense areas. And then these like 
very downtown neighborhoods of like barely inhabited homes that no one is allowed to touch. Um, hmm. And uh, while at the same time, you know, in the outskirts, I'm, I'm dropping some Ontario knowledge on you guys now. Um, you know, we have developers buying up huge parcels of land by highways that like it's like Chinatown shit. Like it's like literally like literally, you know, like a bunch of developers going to a uh, to a premier's wedding. So imagine a governor's like daughter's <laughs> wedding and all sitting uh, at special little tables. It's 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 out there in public and it's happening all the time. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with that dissonance as well. Right. Like when you when it's pushed into your face and then you're told it's not there. I think that's where a lot of mm -hmm. people start to snap. Mm -hmm. And um, the same thing going for stuff like uh, like transit, like we do have streetcars in Toronto. Um and that early <laughs> chapter of like, nope, not riding the one that smells like shit. No, the, the, no. the ghost, of, the like, ghost trolley. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, great, the city, yeah, the city decides to call it the ghost, the ghost car, and everybody else is like, oh, you mean the shit car? Yeah. <laughs> There's the yeah. It's just that like underlying like decay that like the transit system will be like, oh, we're doing amazing. We're I'm like, well, you're doing amazing by your own metrics that you've changed this year. <laughs> To we've we've investigated our practices and found them outstanding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we're doing we're doing great, you know. Um, just sort of putting this this face on things. Um, and that's I mean that's very much what the city of Toronto kind of like. Like, it is a very much a uh, it's desperate to be considered a world class city. I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but but it has these aspirations of like Tokyo. London, Paris, New York, Toronto, LA. <laughs> you know, like it's it's this like like no guys, we're like we're like Chicago, but like if the waterfront sucked and you know, um it was even colder. Uh I think there's <laughs> there's like this there's this deep insecurity regarding the city. I mean, this is a Canadian thing too. Um, you know some like background actor on like the last of us has two minutes of screen time and the CBC runs like a full profile. Like, oh my God, this Canadian actor was and like, yeah, at the same time you're like, yeah, I will take those. I mean, I'm like, if that happens with this book, yes, I'll be out there being like, yep, that's right. You saw my name in the background for half a second. And I'm here to talk for an hour about that episode. Um, like, you know, you'll take what you can get, but there's that, this, this deep insecurity sort of, you know, in Canada, Toronto's like, you know, the joke is the center of the universe, the, you know, all all lights point towards, you know, the tower, CN Tower there. Uh, <laughs> everybody versus Toronto, everybody hates Toronto. And I mean, for good reason. But <laughs> there is this, you know, the, the, there's this this swagger that's betrayed by, you know, oh, what are they saying about us in, in America? Nothing. They don't. <laughs> they, <laughs> I mean, there are no, America, like, America's, I guess uh, when the Raptors won the, uh, when the Raptors took that NBA championship, yeah, we, we had our day in the sun, but yeah. I, you know, you, you were talking about public transit, uh, kind of rot and decay. And, um, I want to relate a little story from, uh, my, my own hometown, you know, Philadelphia, uh, which, um, and I think it was a 2017, I, I think we had to take one third of all of our, um, regional rail which is kind of like the like commuter rail um that goes between the suburbs and uh center city and it's, it's, it's like a big system it's like eight different lines um we had to take a third of all the cars 
um, brand new cars out of service because these cars that were like three years old turned out to have been um, incorrectly manufactured and they all had like a big crack in the center, like main support that makes the car not fall apart. <laughs> and so for like a year, we had we we, we were down by 30% of our uh, rolling stock. So that <laughs> the idea of the public transit decay very much resonates with me. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had exactly similar kind of shit going on in Toronto, like to almost the exact same. Like we we were like 60 streetcars behind a bunch of them that they sent ended up breaking. There was like this like there was just this sort of, you know, well, when are we going to get them? Like, well, when they make them like we can't really do anything about it. And the whole time, you know, the city is telling us, oh, it's fine. And if you're riding that system every day. If you're like out there every day, like I was for years, you're seeing it. And you're like, no, it's broken. Like you when you like, like the like, this is the thing I think, too, is it's like. Where the book is coming from or where I was writing it from is like Toronto is kind of a city that's like run by people who own houses with backyards. And like in the city and then own houses up in cottage country north mm-hmm. of the city. And like in the summer, they're up at their cottage. They're not downtown, like sweating out, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. a lack of AC on trains. They're not like getting kicked out of parks. They're not having their ass beat by the cops. They're not having like hired security come and kick them out of, you know, wherever they are. They're gone. They barely live there. They're like in their own secluded sort of environs. And so when the city finally does start to rupture, like it has lately in Toronto, when you're seeing like attacks on transit or when you're seeing, you know, when, you know, these sort of upper levels start colliding with what was always there and who was always there and the people who actually do live in the place, all of a sudden it's a panic that, you know, things are falling apart. And it's like, no, they were always like that. You just are only choosing to kind of see them now mm-hmm. when they finally maybe made your space uncomfortable and they made you like confront what, you know, you were happy to sort of finance for years. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that's like been in Toronto extremely relevant in the last year or so. Um, But I see like in the States too, with you guys, like um, the, the absolute insane freak out over uh, drugstores being, you know, taken over and San Francisco is a fallen Mm -hmm. state and like just an inability to realize that you live in a place with other people. Like that no, is not society. Me, you know? That 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 last one is is truly mind boggling because um, what ended up happening is I believe uh, Walgreens had had like six months prior to those news stories coming out had already mentioned that those stores were going to be closed, but after the news stories gained so much traction, they let sort of like the local media just run with oh yeah the the stores being closed because of the wave of you know shoplifting you know organized crime is shoplifting in Walgreens and you're like I, I I just don't see Tony Soprano really running that 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 operation you know <laughs> I don't know yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah they, I mean they, they weren't it wasn't glamorous like the Sopranos wasn't glamorous but I'm pretty sure Tony had bigger aims than yeah. shoplifting no, and if that was a Sopranos episode it would have been like 
season three, Jackie <laughs> Jr. and a couple like the little guys, you know, they want to, they want to, or like, yeah, like, like Christopher, Christopher goes uh, rogue and decides to run some sort of op operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, here's the thing, T. We just need, yeah, we like, I think we just need <laughs> we just three need guys. 10 yeah. bags of mini Snickers. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, you see, the mini Snickers, you can sell them for a buck. They, what are they going to do? Get mad at you after? Yeah, no, it's uh, like I you think- know, you know how much the you know how much those Gillette uh, five blade razors go out yeah. out on the street. Yeah, out on the street, yeah, they're they're in demand, and there's a market for them. And if we want to talk about like the other end of conspiracy, yeah, the idea that you know, like, what is the end game of, of these? Uh, yeah, the 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 great like organized dollar store robberies um <laughs> you know ideally now now i'm taking this in a direction where there's a novel where it's actually like target or somebody has been like yeah we want to we want to fucking crush walgreens so uh, <laughs> we're gonna send out these teams with well, this I think, I think, cash money to really uh set i think things part right. of part of that speaking of you know like if, if we can allude to seeds uh in the book uh you know part of part of that is like that conspiracy of like oh the shoplifters oh it's organized is is this idea you know sort of a, a seed planted decades ago that somehow you know like if you're homeless you're actually making bank you know like you're making a hundred thousand dollars you know a, a year from begging and it's like Mm, yeah, but you can't open a bank account if you don't have an address and you can't do a lot of things you know like I don't think that even if that were true, I, I don't think that you can actually have any wealth accumulate. Yeah, I think like I mean that's just like an absolute shit show fantasy from like a like a broken right wing mind for sure. I think there's like this idea too that you know what what kind of informs I think a lot of thinking is almost like the idea that someone is somewhere is getting one over on you, you know, like, (laughs) and I felt that myself sometimes when I'm like trying to get like fucking home insurance or something or like car insurance. I'm like, (laughs) oh, these fuckers are coming for me. They're all in league with each other. They all want a piece of me. They're all trying to get away with it. But when you translate that to like people obviously going through, you know, truly uh, rough circumstances, it does sort of become this insanely kind of narcissistic like you aren't the protagonist mm-hmm. <laughs> and i yeah. think i think if anything that's something i was trying to do in the book too where i'm like yeah here's another guy no he's also not your protagonist like <laughs> the i like and I, I yeah there have been reviewers and people responding to it who have just been like well fuck you like why are you making me read this book where I, but I, I you know i want to create i know i think horror readers and i think like people like we should be doing things structurally that are exciting. We should be doing things with character. We should be kind of building stories that maybe, you know, I want to keep the the language accessible and the, the narrative accessible in its way, but I do want to play with, like, how we tell a story. And sometimes running into sort of the, the brick wall of, like, I mean, we see it online with a sex scene discourse or with, uh, you know, basically anything that's not plot development. Like, was this necessary? I mean, I'm here to make I'm here to make art. Like, I don't like none of this is fucking necessary. No Ant-Man movie is necessary. Like, no fucking Star Wars vehicle is necessary. 
except for you know Bubba Fett's ship maybe it's cool but there's no real like need for any of this the idea that like you're going to create art that is necessary and 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 every part of it contributes and it's it's a singular piece that you know like beyond being like an exercise in ego it's this idea that like the world is knowable mm-hmm. and i think well, and that's I, you know solvable like there's like a desperation to have an answer and i think you kind of touched on that a bit earlier carlo where it's like the idea that there is going to be a satisfying way to wrap up everything and all the meaning that you wanted is going to be there in the story <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't really have any interest in that. Like, I do want to leave it open to readers. I want to, like, you know, have that sense of play and possibility. And I think horror relies on that, too. And when you're talking about, um, it was actually really cool. What Was it Kurt or yourself where it was like these, uh, you know, Ramji and Dale, they confront sort of what the wet is in some way. Mm-hmm. And they can't mm-hmm. process or comprehend it. And it's like, yeah, I want to give you, like, cosmic horror that's like in the earth you know like in the ground that is not space but is like unknowable natural organic fear well and i think that that you know you you chose precisely like you were talking earlier about like you know how fun fungi are are sort of even experts or like you know you you ask them very pointed questions they sort of shrug and go "Hmm, i don't know you know we we don't we we're not sure about this or that you know like you know, just as an aside, there's, there's, I believe there's a, uh, a specific type of fungus that has like, you know, tens of thousands of different genders because simply that's the way it works. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 Like, like I, I feel like that in and of itself, like as an avatar of unknowability is precisely the domain of what horror is trying to achieve. Right. It's trying to, um, like as a genre is trying to bump up against things that are inexplicable and therefore scary. And the wet is definitely like something that is, you know, you have a general idea of it being sort of like a weird, almost a, a, a Jungian uh, literal shadow of uh, exactly what Stan Marigold and all his uh, sicko cronies wanted oh, to do. Oh, Stan. Oh, Stan. If I may um, say two things, go ahead. Um, the the first one is stupid, and feel free to comment or not comment upon it as you will. Um, one of my th- th- this this goes back to uh, what uh, uh, Andrea was saying about kind of like dissecting the individual parts of uh, of a piece of of media or art. Um, so there's an Emerson Lake and Palmer album uh, called Brain Salad Surgery, which the cover art is an H.R. Giger. Uh, a painting of of a woman um, with kind of like weird he's it's kind of like one of those weird organic robot things that H.R. Giger loves to paint um, and there's a weird kind of like vague glowing shape in the middle uh, of of the cover art for the album which which used to be a phallus thrusting up towards her mouth um, and uh, when when H.R. Giger was commissioned to to paint uh, the the cover art um, he he drew you know this woman's face with like a phallus thrusting up towards the face, um, and the the label took issue with this and said we can't release this. Um, please take the penis out of the picture. And H.R. Giger replied angrily with with one sentence: "The penis is part of the picture." Um, so 
So that is my, that is my view, roughly, on in terms of trying to, to to pick individual parts out of a piece of media and say, I didn't like this part, I didn't like this part, this part should have been different. But anyway, um, the the that's the stupid thing I was going to say. <laughs> no, it's always good to bring Giger in because he would definitely be like, it's part of the picture. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could just I could hear it now in his voice from uh, from. From Yodowski's Dune, you know, before he <laughs> passed away, unfortunately. <laughs> Kurt, yeah. you, you, all, you, all I'm thinking now is like if H.R. Giger had writ, had had uh, painted the the album cover for Spinal Tap, the Smell the Glove album cover. <laughs> Look at the, oh yeah, oh yeah. Look yeah, at the yeah, picture. Yeah. It's very obvious that there was a penis there that was that was airbrushed out against his will. The, the, the slightly smarter thing I was going to say is um, we 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 mentioned Stan uh, Stan Margold earlier and. Um, um, I really liked him as a character for a variety of reasons. Not, I think it's it's easy to make rich people laughable in a way that is insincere. That does, you know, it's it's easy to make like a like an imagined rich person who we can laugh at because the you know the rich rich people are easily mockable, but it often comes across a little bit too broad, a little bit too much as as parody. And I really appreciated the character of Stan Marigold because not, not only is he so central to, uh, to the actual conspiracy, to the actual inner machinations that are going on, but he really doesn't seem to care very much or he finds it like an annoying bother. And I, I really appreciated that aspect because, it again, going back to like the kind of like literary irony in the piece it's it's felt so much more honest to me than having you know the the antagonist be this kind of like cackling rich guy who is like oh yes i'm i'm pulling all the strings to him it's like it's just a bother like he wants to primarily like get a boner on subway platforms from his wife insulting him you know he's he's <laughs> the, the, all this stuff with the rituals and all this is this is all bullshit he's He's it's it's totally apart from what he, what he wants to be doing. The the fact that it is of great significance and impacts other people's lives is just like invisible and immaterial to him. And I, I love that aspect of it because I felt it felt so much more honest to me than a rich person who's aware of their significance in the lives of other people, which I think misses the point of how rich people see the world. So I just wanted to say I really I, I like that character very much. Um, and also, there's the both because of like a kind of like a dark comedic irony, and also just like a like a certain verisimilitude. Um, yes, to, yeah, no, I, mean, I appreciate guy. that a lot, Kerry. That's why I was shooting for that. Like, I wanted to give like a rich sort of, you know, he is at the center of it, and at the same time, yeah, he's somebody who's like, oh, now I got to do this fucking ritual. <laughs> Are you kidding? Like, he's so over it. He's and like. And at the same time, he's full of, you know, rage and anger at his own father and what the building will be. And he's still participating. But yeah, there's sort of like, you know, anything bad happens to him. He's like, well, I'll get another one. And there, you know, there's a scene later where, yeah, like one of his employees dies tragically. And he's mainly like, fuck, she had my car keys. Fuck. Like that, you know, like that's and, and uh, you know, seeing that kind of level of disregard, like it is funny, but I, it also did ring true in some ways to the times where I have brushed elbows with that tier of wealth, where it's just like, oh, you don't even think I'm human. You like, I don't even exist really. <laughs> and yet at the same time, their own life, it's not like a deeply rich cerebral <laughs> environment. Like, like 
I think like Elon's tweets are perfect for that, but it, it's very much or like seeing these uh, these Silicon Valley guys freak out about their bank when they're like, oh, we should all pull our money at the same time. Like, it's more just that they're existing in like this, like, you know, a fake, like a, a simulation of like daily drudgery for most people. Like mm-hmm. their drudgery is, you know, having to make one decision mm-hmm. and and. The amount of hate and anger that summons up in them, you know, uh, dwarfing anything that somebody, you know, just scraping by for food can't even imagine. I think, like, creating characters like that is fun. I mean, I think there were some early reviews for the Marigold that were like, it's kind of like Succession. And I was like, no, no, don't. <laughs> I like Succession. But, like, you know, like Stanley does have that sort of, like, almost the Brian Cox character energy a bit. But again, I was writing like I created him even before that happened. So when those waves are happening, I do think like he, he is. I didn't, I think for me, like he is probably my favorite creation in the book just because he is at the center of everything and yet could not give a shit. I, I <laughs> love when he's talking about his his former assistant whose uh, pinky got got chopped off because um, Stan slammed his car door uh, angrily, <laughs> as he often does. And and his neck, he, he he mentions like all this stuff with like a settlement and having to pay out. And he's like, and and that's when I knew that she wasn't going to work out as my assistant. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Can't, 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 like, move, like, can't move her pinky finger out of the way fast enough. Come yeah, on. yeah. Like, how are we going to move forward from this? Like, there's just no way, you know, like, yeah, the idea of that, like these people exist in their relationship to me and otherwise are irrelevant like and so yes like someone losing their finger really just means oh i have to find a new assistant like it's (laughs) there's no sort of uh greater world right when everybody is sort of replaceable or Mm -hmm. functional and then the people who you can't replace like your father or you know in some ways your wife who has a lot of dirt on you like those relationships become all that more fraught because they are you can't just make them disappear Right. Um, they become almost like an enemy due to the fact that you can't you can't dismiss them and you you don't like he's a he's a person who doesn't have any he, he doesn't have any of the normal human tools for dealing with other people. And so mm-hmm. anything that doesn't already do what he wants is itself inherently an enemy because he doesn't yeah. know any other way of dealing with people. Yeah, and I think like his for me too his he sort of almost exists as like an antithesis in a way to the wet where he's like such an individualist that he can he could never almost be co-opted by it because he just refuses the like <laughs> the very nature of the wet he's like well i'm not gonna join you so i you know i'll, I'll do things my way like he he you can you can eat the rest of me but my head stays here yeah like he's very like i will die as myself like he is so self um, he's such a narcissist and he is such an individualist in the worst ways that at the same time, he does also become like a great sort of opponent for the wet in a way, because the wet is seeking to kind of bring everyone together. Um, and he's fine with that as long as he's, he doesn't have to be part of it. You know, he's, uh, he, <laughs> you, you, if, you if weirdos can do it, the tool wants to incorporate him all of a sudden that's, that's naughty. He doesn't want that, you know? So I think, yeah, yeah. This idea too, right? That they're like, like, oh no, this is good for for the for the plebs, uh, <laughs> but 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 I'm I'm made of stronger stuff. 
And it's like, no, you're well, not, man. You're you're flesh. Like you well, will you I, will I, rot I, and you will die. It's like watching these guys like, oh wow, he's 47 and has the body of a 25 year old. And I'm like, I can't wait for him to get hit by a truck. It'll, <laughs> he'll die the same way as everyone else, you know? Like it's <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think that one of the things that stood out to me uh about Stan is that he has like self-professed. He 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 had a moment where he was rebellious, right? He like very much like college age Stan is, you know, writing all those papers about theory and this and that. But, you know, in the end, he has been he the reason he can't sort of capitulate to the wet is because he already succumbed to his what his father's plans were for him. Yeah. Right. And part of the rage that he has is the fact that he's been sort of like, you know, sort of, yes, he's getting all the benefits of that, but also, did he ever really want to do that? Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. No, I do. Like, there, I did want to complicate him. There are seeds in the story, definitely, of like, could there have been another way? And, mm -hmm. you know, those are kind of planted later in the book as like a reminder that he could have existed as a different person. Um and I do, you know, the characters are malleable in their own way. I I mean, part of my style, too, is not to give you a perfect itinerary of every person you meet or where they were or what they did their entire life, but to kind oh, of shoot. give you those little snapshots and fragments. Um, well, well, shoot, Andrew, you know, I was going to ask you to, to close out the uh, the episode, just ask, you know, like, give us a list of tropes that uh, this... <laughs> This book with yeah, 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 yeah. Friends yeah, to yeah. lovers, itself. friends yeah, yeah, to fungus. Enemies to uh, found, lovers, found, fungus to found family and the wet, you know. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the wet as the ultimate found family. Yeah, <laughs> found it's, uh, yeah, you'll join one way or another. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, I, I'm, I haven't been asked to make a graphic like that yet. Thank I haven't God. seen anybody on my team do that. Um I really do appreciate how they've been handling it. Like the book's been out there, but even my editor was like, okay, we're going to send out arcs of this really early because people have to read it or they'll have no idea what the <laughs> fuck anyone's talking about. And I was like, wow, you're so smart. Like, yeah, it, like you got like the fact that people have read it and can talk about it and um, kind of explore it rather than just put a bunch of arrows pointing at the title being like, spooky scary mushroom times or like <laughs> like zombie named after a taco like like there's <laughs> there's all kinds of like ways it could go bad right and so i i do appreciate that i've been able to avoid that but you know i could be saying that and then six days from now i'm like oh yeah what's a fun way to say like you're gonna have a picture of the book and an arrow pointing at it. you can't kill me in any way that matters you yeah know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I'm just doing like Kenobi, yeah, Darth, and uh, all kinds of Star Wars memes that that reflect back. It'll be perfect. Um, yeah, I think yeah. The so yeah, in about two months, you'll see the crossover between the Marigold and Grogu. We're gonna have Grogu on the cover. We're gonna have John Favreau <laughs> singing a little song. We're gonna include some some beats from the Lion King uh, and. Yeah, uh, look, that'll look, all if, be in the special edition. Um, if uh, if if Filoni like read it and and tweeted about it, you would totally retweet that, of course. Oh, dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like <laughs> if somebody's out there. I mean, I think the thing about it is you just 
like you would have to i mean somebody like jeff vandermeer would do it all the time where it's like yeah i acknowledge this <laughs> like, <laughs> like i think that's a great way to do it like yeah like if you're if your book is like on an amazon thing you're like yes the evil empire has discovered my novel like what are you gonna do you you are interpolated by the system man you exist within it i think it is very funny um i know like my first short story collection was with like an anarchist small press worker owned um mm. respect uh and they won't sell their books on amazon so you can find them through their own sites and their own distribution networks and that's great um but you know with with uh where publishing is these days you're often you know you're shaking hands with 12 different devils every time you log on <laughs> there's paimon and there's <laughs> yeah yeah let us let's count them let's crack open some some milton and really yeah narrow it down yeah one last thing that i wanted to to make sure that that i mentioned earlier but but i forgot to to ask at the time is uh or, or mention at the time is that honestly there's so many um so many stories out there that uh that are that purport to be about you know like working class people that just don't feel like anyone works and yeah. thank you for writing something that feels like like something that you know like soda feels like somebody that is constantly being you know like pinched on all sides by every possible you know like every possible like inconvenience of modernity is visited upon this poor this poor gig worker uh you know like even small characters like maddie and and so on you know generally feel like very you know sort of true to life in the sense that yeah it it, it definitely feels like there's a sense of understanding how people work you know what work entails and you know how that how that also sort of hems you in right Oh, totally. Um, I, I mean, I get why a lot of books don't want to deal with that because it's like, oh, that's the story now. This guy goes to work. Great. What a like it is. It's a trap, right? It feels like a trap. It is a trap. Oh, it is almost like, like a, it's a definitional aspect of our lives. And so, yeah, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's part of who you are, unfortunately. And I did want to capture that in the book. And I definitely like that's something that's been there from the start for me. Like my short story collection was basically all written while I was working like in a liquor warehouse. Like my first novel is kind of about people who, you know, because they can't find work or protect themselves, like turn to violence. Um, this book is, yeah, it's about, you know, how you are ground down and that your job is very often much keeping someone else, uh, afloat rather than yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's Stanley up in that penthouse uh, and everybody else way down in the street. And that 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 suffocation there, like the terror of, you know, not knowing how you're going to pay your rent, the terror of like not knowing, you know, what your future will be. And yet also still grinding your life away at the same time. I mean, those feelings have never left me, even if like my you know personal situation has changed in the last few years. I still like. To me, those were always the greatest fears. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think I share a, a certain like I'm currently okay, knock on wood, you know. Uh, but but you know, work wise, but but 
I'm so close. Like five years ago, I was not, you know, like even five years ago, I was not at the place I am now. And, and it's hard for me to be like, yeah, fuck those guys, you know, because that was me, that, that was me in the past. You know, I can't, oh, yeah. I can't just simply like give up and be like, yeah, well, this is, this is me now. So fuck those guys, you know, <laughs> fuck them workers. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Like it's, it's something that I, I think for me is part of the horror of the book. Like the, the fact that they, like the world is going to shit. And you still got a clock in, you know, <laughs> yes. like, like that to me, like I had a short story in my first book, my collection called mutations. It's about a guy, uh, working at a nuclear plant and everyone else is quitting. Cause they're, you know, starting to, you know, there there's deformities happening. Things are changing, whatever, but he has, you know, he has no income. That's his job. And so every day he's going in and seeing weirder and weirder shit and he can't, he has nowhere to go. And I mean, that was a bit of like, it's a, it's a blunt story. It's an early story, but it's still one I love because it's like, that's what it felt like. You know, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. this is destroying you. And yet yeah. you have no other option. Um, and that to me, yeah, is part of the horror of the Marigold is part of, and I've heard from people who have been there, you know, who have been sort of paycheck to paycheck in those ways. Um, talk about like that terror feeling real or that, that, that suffocation, I think that Kurt mentioned too, in each of those vignettes, where it is people just trying to get by, um, or you know, they've won the lottery, but now everyone believes that you know they owe them mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the other side of that nightmare, right? So, well, I mean, I I, I also think that that's um, it, it sets up you know that that grind, right? That grind really sets up very well the um the release that the 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 wet promises right like yeah yeah escape yeah it's a bargain like that's part of what i wanted it to be is that like yeah it comes to people in their worst moments yeah i mean the wet very much acts like almost like a a, a jungian shadow right it it tells you exactly like one of the things that um is as i was like revisiting this uh before we recorded one of the things that came to mind was like how the wet very much feels like uh, the, the, the voice that runs throughout uh, Alison Rumfitt's uh, you know, tell me I'm worthless, right? This idea that you're not worth anything unless you fit into these particular categories. And granted, you know, th- these are very different uh, points of view, but, but the, the sentiment, it feels the same, you know, like this idea that, that unless you fit into these predetermined sort of uh, ideas or roles that uh, that make society productive, uh, you you are not really considered, you know, of worth. Yeah, totally. No, the idea that yeah, like you are not providing value, right? You are not mm-hmm. providing. You know, watching these like success win grind set mindset hustle core culture wake up early reliance roar kind of bullshit is that the idea of like there's productive people and unproductive people and like Look, that, Andrew, that mentality uh, if, if is you're, a sickness if your garage is not filled with books <laughs> god i i still think about that stupid stupid guy anyway uh 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's 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 absurd, but also that's yeah. You know, I think that that's part of the 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 flavor in the horror, like the, the little sprinkle of flavor in the horror is also that absurdity, right? Like the like you just said, you know, like the idea that even though the sky's blood red outside and uh, the seventh seal has been broken, your shift manager doesn't give a shit about that. He wants you clocking in because there are people asking for lattes right now. Okay. Exactly, man. Yeah. Like, and I think that's like, for me, kind of what is sort of the, the, the sickness of the, the story here is like, we have a city that's pretty much doomed and right up until the end, people are still, you know, making sure the elevators are working, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but for the people who have to get up high, like never mind the huge pothole in the street or the sinkhole at the gas station, like <laughs> seeing what gets prioritized, you know, in a time of chaos. I think that's also very revealing who you choose to, you know, where resources are put. And you know what that means. Uh, well, I mean, given given that I've read the 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 entirety of the book, uh, my resources. You know, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave out some extra food for raccoons. That's what there. I'm you go. Do. Yes, that's the future. That's the that's the key, <laughs> man. Is the uh, yes. Um, I don't know if you overlords. Americans have quite the same size of raccoon we do up here, but. If you Google Toronto raccoon, you'll learn all about their thickness and their <laughs> uh, their power and their uh, ability to open almost any box. Yeah, there you I, go. I, I do remember about ten years ago there was a a a brief media circus last about about twelve hours where a raccoon climbed a skyscraper in I don't remember what city it was. Um, but uh, but that's that's probably the highest profile American raccoon that 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 you're going to get they're around they're yeah. definitely around but they're kind of like they're 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 between the cracks as yeah it were. yeah i don't yeah. think I, they have quite the prominence in yeah. america possums though possums definitely do and we are <laughs> you know through the blessings of global warming we are also getting possums up here now even more of them they used to be rare and now they're all over the place and I do kind of love running into their terrifying white skull <laughs> faces and being like, oh, yes, yes. They're like, uh, they're, they're like, it's like a rat if a rat was a small dog. Yeah, yeah. It's like a rat dog with a demon face. And yet they're great animals. Like, I, I support them. I wish well, them it, well. Kurt, Kurt, you, you just reminded me that not too long ago, I, I had an actual, like, I, I, the only run-ins I'd had with possums were sadly the dead ones you find on the road, right? And so, you know, I always feel a little little pang every time I see them. I was like, damn, man, you couldn't, you couldn't swerve a little bit? Had to hit this guy? This is more ticks this summer. Thank you. <laughs> um, and and uh, one night I took out uh, our dog and she immediately like came around the corner of the house and like went after her. and it, like I'm seeing her like lunge and suddenly I go come around the corner and it's a possum and between one blink and the next he's just sort of hunched on the ground eating like seeds from a bird feeder from one of our bird feeders Um and suddenly I blink and he's on his side, like completely playing dead. And it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, cool. Like I was having two different thoughts at the moment, which was like, God damn it, dog. Get over there. Go 
key or whatever you need to do. And the other thought was like, cool, I'm seeing like in real life exactly what I've seen in, in books. <laughs> He's doing the thing. He's doing the thing. He's doing the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you, the first time you see a turtle, like pull its head back in its shell, it's like, oh. <laughs> Oh, I, you're 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 reminding me of like actual box turtles, which I've like I I, I had a box turtle when I was a kid, but he was a little little too fat, <laughs> so he couldn't like retract all the way. And also, he's I think he was like a southwestern, but the eastern box turtles, those fuckers seal up tight. It's like a FedEx box. I think you need to incorporate them into the next book. I think well, that, I got to figure that out. Yeah, 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 yeah something I think, like that. Yeah, I think you need to do some. Uh, Oh, what is the dreaded world? Uh, world building. Mm -hmm. Oh, hurdles. no. Yeah, they, they most. Uh, uh, we could save that for the next pod, guys. But <laughs> the, the accursed one. <laughs> the yes. horrors of, uh, of world building. Yeah. Yeah. All what right. happens well, when you don't want to write? Yeah. <laughs> or read, and for that matter. Um, all right. So I guess we should, uh, we should probably wrap it up. Um, do we have any last thoughts, gents? Um, it's a fun book. It's you know, it's um it, it it probably sounds from us describing it. Andrew, don't listen to this. Uh it probably sounds from us describing it that it's it is it's it's like super dense and confusing and like avant-garde. And it does go a lot of places and it does do a lot of interesting stuff and it makes use of like a lot of like literary devices. But I would say overall, I found it pretty approachable and I found it very fun and like a very engaging read. Um and and I think you should read it. Uh, okay, Andrew, Dark you can start listening again. Darkly, <laughs> okay, so very, everything very... Kurt said about me like sacrificing animals <laughs> is not. Um, yeah, like I think no, I think it is like it's a book for me that I do think is something I want people to engage with. I'm like, there's like there's a lot going on, but I mean that's part of the fun of it to me um, is having that sense of play in fiction, even when it's horror. And um, yeah. yeah, and writing a book about a city and about a place and trying to, you know, convey that rather than um, some sort of heroic journey was something I did want to undertake. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, welcome to Toronto population. 5,000 raccoons. <laughs> oh, one oh, fungus. The other thing that I want to say. Yeah. And I mean this as the highest compliment possible <laughs> is is that I really appreciated how frequently and how effectively it dipped into like an almost like Raymond Chandler noir-ish sort of voice. It does it it's 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 subtle. Um but it definitely to, to me at least I don't know I don't know if this is what you were going for, but there's 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 moments in the book where there's these little bond these kind of like uh world-weary bon mots. From, oh yeah, from yeah. characters, and it has a very, um, you know, classic noir sort of taste to it, where people kind of make these little, uh, you know, these these kind of like dour observation, dour but clever observations about the world. I thought it was very effective. I'm very, very judgmental of noir voice in novels, yeah. and I thought it was very effective. So I mean that as a, as a, as a high compliment. So no, I appreciate. I mean, that was part of it. yeah. Again, like I wanted that sense of fun in there. I mean, noir to me. Like uh, in sort of like, yeah, that Chandler, even that Elroy vein of just like, OK, mm -hmm. you know what? Let's play with this. Like, let's flex on this. And um, yeah, that was definitely part of the book and something that I didn't even realize was there until I kind of finished it. And I was like, well, that's me. Like, I can't take it out now. 
Um, so I'm glad that we, that came across and was effective because it's definitely, I think too, like the idea of like, Oh, I'm telling the story of a city, whatever else, like immediately you're, you're running the risk of like, you know, that, like the Batman kind of poetry, like, you know, that the fucking, like the, the Rorschach, like kind of like the streets are scabbed over. No one can bleed. If there's already blood in the veins that are running underneath these sidewalks, like, so, you know, you, yeah, there is the, there's the total chance that you're going to fall into parody and be, you know, like a guy who's like windows are eyes, but to what the buildings are empty. <laughs> like there's, there's so many ways it could go wrong. Um, but you know, there is sort of some fun poetry to that stuff, um, that, you know, you want to hold on to and you want to maybe hope survives through like the third round of edits where you're like, oh, I hope I get to keep this one, you know? <laughs> Well, I, I did want to point out that also, uh, apart from fun, it is also very funny. It like, is. There's parts of it that are very funny, just very dark, uh, but but in a funny sort of way, right? Um, in any case, uh, I mean, if if you've listened to this, we we really haven't spoiled too much about the book. Uh, I I don't know, honestly, Andrew. I'm I'm not a big fan of like you know spoiler free is like who cares like we're all adults here yeah you know, the, the if the execution's right uh the the story the experience of reading the story cannot be spoiled um but in any case we have not really delved into like plot stuff or anything of the sort so in general i, I would encourage anyone that's listening to this hit that pre-order you know, like, or if after if it's a, if you're listening to this after it came out, order it. In any case, it's great. It's a great read. Check it out. Um, I don't know if you have any anything any last words of wisdom uh, for us, Andrew, before we uh, we we send our our listeners packing. Uh, honestly, I think it's mainly just that like these kind of books are like the book I wanted to write. Like, I got to write the book I wanted here. I got to publish the book I wanted and that's really rare that's mm -hmm. something that I do value that's something I do appreciate and you know it is the book I wanted to put out there so whatever happens with it I know I created the story I wanted readers to experience and I think for creators these days and for writers and artists whatever else like that's the most you can do is yeah. put your vision out there and feel satisfied with what it is, um, not what it could be or what someone uh, paid you to do. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, Andrew, thanks again for you know letting us read this uh, you know, this this great novel and also for coming on to decide to talk to us <laughs> us about it. Um, but uh, everyone out there. Like I said, read the novel, pre-order, order, whatever it may be, and we'll catch you next time here on Podside.